ballad. I, I really like bush ballads and um, you know, some, some of you who know me know that I was a fan of Slim Dusty. He was actually a good mate of mine. Well, not really, but I always thought he was a good mate of mine because he was born at Nulla Nulla, which is up the river from where I lived as a, as a kid. And uh, he actually started his career at the local radio station, which was 2KM Kempsey. And I used to go down there on Saturday afternoons and read the weather when I was a, when I was a kid. And I always had this, this love of radio and, and country music grew in me. And I used to go to all these concerts in Kempsey. I used to do a concert every couple of years at the Anglican Church Hall in West Kempsey. And I used to go, my, no one else went, no one told you went, but I'd save up the money that I'd earned from mowing and I'd go along to a slim, dusty concert. And anyway, one of the, um, it wasn't really a song, it was more a, a poem that he recorded with a, just a guitar in the back. It was actually called How Will I Go With Him, Mate? I don't really have time to read out the whole of the song because it just goes on and on and on, but I want to read a little bit of it just because I love it. That's alright, isn't it? I can do something just because I love it. Yeah, okay. Now this is a tale of a mate I had back in those other days. Sinner's wire and just as tough and woolly and wide in his ways. When the going was rugged and really tough, he would always cheerfully state, things are bad, but they could be worse. So we'll see how we go with it, mate. Now there was a time when we busted our checks in a town in the long ago now when a big gun shearer got to the tear and started to kick up a row and he picked on the smallest one of our lot and slaughter was plain to see till our mate said, Listen you son of a gun, come and fire a charge at me. Ha <laughs> ha! Things really began to happen then because as he picked himself up out of the dust and the dirt, both eyes were the colour of slate and he squinted a bit as he said to me, How did I go with him, mate? Ha! That was the way our mate used to be. Another time in the sunny state with both of us badly bent with saddlebags empty and nothing to smoke and between us we didn't have a cent. We, well, we saw on a poster stuck on a wall news of a rodeo. Well, here's our chance, he said to me. We'll be kings of the Wild West show. <laughs> but he drew the worst horse that was in the drawer, mean-eyed and short in the neck. As he climbed up the chute, he whispered to me, be ready to collar the check. Collar the check? This is what really happened. As he picked himself out of the Red Queensland dust just a few yards away from the gate, he looked up at me with a lopsided grin and said, How did I go with him, mate? Ha! Huh, that was our mate. Well, there's a few other verses, but it hasn't really got a lot to do with what I want to say this morning. I just wanted to read it, because I love it. And uh, one of these days when I retire and have a lot more time on my hands, I'm going to try and write some bush poetry. I reckon it would be fun. I really do. But there is a serious side to this, and, and I've actually titled this morning's discussion point, we'll see how we go with it, mate. Because um, if you look around the world today, there's an element of battle 
that that we're in. And, uh, you know, you hear Christians from time to time lament at the state of the world. Well, let me tell you something. The state of the world has been the state of the world since Jesus' resurrection. And uh, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. And we're talking here um, not that long after Jesus actually died and went to heaven within probably 30 years or so. And uh, this is only part of, of what he writes. If you, if you read 1 and 2 Timothy and 1 and 2 Peter, you'll see there's a lot said there about the state of the world. And this is what Paul wrote to Timothy. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, that one especially for um, David and Ainsley, I reckon. <laughs> Unholy, just a warning. Not, it wasn't a description of how they are, it was just a warning, right? <laughs> Unholy, unloving, lots of uns in this, aren't there? Unforgiving. Slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Now he's actually talking here about the last days, and the last days is an expression used in the Bible, meaning the period of time between Jesus' life on earth and his second coming. So we've been in the last days for 2,000 years, if you it's a long time, I know. But um, it, the Bible also says, of course, that to God a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, meaning that God doesn't have the same concept of time as we do. So 2,000 years seems like a long time to us, but to God it's nothing. And, and, and actually, in a sense, it, this is not a good metaphor really because it's a bit of a mixed metaphor, but the whole of human history happens on a pinhead as far as God is concerned because time is of actually no consequence to God. But uh, it certainly is to us, and the reason why time matters to us is that we're born and we die, right? So each day that goes past, I actually get closer to my natural death. But look at this. This is a description of what was bad about the world within less than a generation. And many of the people who were characters in the Bible actually personally had seen Jesus. And if they didn't have that experience themselves, they would have known somebody who did. And yet, that's what the world was like. And we look around the world today, you know, on my, my Facebook feed, I, I get so much news of this kind of behaviour because I have, you know, I have friends who are involved in various um, groups that are doing their best to lobby people in Parliament and so on and so forth on various pieces of legislation. Um, there's a movement going on now to establish a, a, um, a group of about 150,000 people in business to bring pressure on government for righteousness. So lots and lots of things are happening behind the scenes in Australia, which actually, by the way, give me great hope for what God is doing in this nation but nevertheless, as we look around us and we look at the news and we check our Facebook feeds, we see so much evidence of this. The things are bad. They're really, really bad. 
Because if we have a look in 2 Peter, that is if you just read on a little bit from what David was preaching on last week, this is what he said. Again, this is about these last days. People will be scoffers. Scoffers will come in the last days. Now, scoff is a word which has come to mean actually, um, like, you know, greedily eating as much as we can. We, we talk about people scoffing their food. But actually, scoffing is laughing in derision at someone or something. And uh, the world is full of scoffers these days. I, I think of the, the militant atheists, for example. They actually scoff at Christianity and other religions. But they laugh at us because, you know, they actually are now beginning to say that belief in God and, and religion in general is a sickness of the mind. That's what they're saying about us. So they're kind of pointing their fingers and they're laughing at us in derision and saying, well, actually, you're weak in the mind. There's something wrong with your mind. There's something wrong with the way your brain is wired that is actually causing you to believe in this unbelievable God. They're scoffers. They walk according to their own lusts. Now, we often think of lust there about you know, sexual inclinations and so on, but lust is really just living your life according to the carnal desires. Because in, in the Bible, there are two types of people. There are spiritual people and there are carnal people. Spiritual people, of course, are people who are living their lives according to the Lord and they see their identity as one with him. The, the prayer that Jesus prayed that is recorded in the Gospel of John. And um, so we're either spiritual or, or we're carnal. Carnal people are simply people who seek to satisfy their own needs without reference to anybody else or without reference to any standard which is given by an external source. So our God is external to us in the sense of him having actually given us guidelines for living. So the, the scoffers, these are people who don't think there is any substance in what we believe. This is what they say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Because here, the, uh, the epistle of Peter talks about how it was God who created everything and he actually sustained everything by his word. So if you go back to Genesis, you will see that. See, I'm going back to Genesis chapter 1 again, Ainsley. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you will see that by his word, God actually created everything. You see, also by his word, he sustains everything. God isn't sitting back watching how everything unfolds. God is actively involved in the world today because he is the reason why the cosmos still exists. It's his word that upholds it. It's his word that actually keeps it going. But the scoffers are saying, where's the evidence? Right? The scoffers have got a theory of evolution and a, and a big bang and so on and so well, we don't actually need God to explain anything. For this they willfully get, forget that by the word of God the heavens were old and the earth, and that just goes on and on and on, were, sorry, were of old and the earth. And uh, he goes on to explain how it is that God actually is the God of creation. So not only are we surrounded by these bad people in the last days, but worse than that, we're surrounded by scoffers. You see, bad people can live and let live, often. They don't necessarily bother us too much. The scoffers are the really dangerous ones, because they're the ones who are trying to undermine 
the very basis of our own lives. And I just want to go on a little bit further here, but to say, but they could be worse. So things are bad, but they could be worse. And it's a little bit hard to see this graphic. It looks much better on a, on a bigger screen. But one of the interesting things about people these days is that there are still a lot of people who have a belief in God. In other words, we, we can actually get the wrong picture of what's happening in the last days when all we do is watch the secular news and uh, when all we have on our Facebook feeds, like I do, about 80% of my Facebook feeds are actually negative. Right? But here's a bit of research. I'm, I'm a great believer in going out and finding out what the, the experts are saying. Um, the, I can actually send you the, the PowerPoint if you actually want to look at these, these charts. On the left-hand side here, we've actually got some fairly recent research that was undertaken by uh, the Pew Research Centre in, in the United States, and they're actually brilliant. They do research and they bring together research from all over the world on a whole range of social and economic issues. But they've, um, they've done research 2007 to 2014, so it's fairly recent research, on belief in God and belief in God with absolute certainty. All right? So, and, and, and the, the percentage is dropping, right? It is dropping, but it's nowhere near terribly bad news for us because, for example, in terms of belief in God with absolute certainty, that is, I've absolutely no doubt whatsoever that God exists. 2007, 71% of the population in the United States believe that. 2014, 63%. Now, I can't find up-to-date data for Australia, but over here on the right-hand side of the screen, we've got the results of a survey that was done in 2009. It was done by university people, so pretty hotshot researchers. And over here, this is belief in God with no doubt whatsoever. This is belief in God or a higher power. And you can see that these, these blue lines here, they represent... Australians as a whole, so the whole population, people who go to church, people who express religious beliefs and people who don't. So, belief in God was no doubt about 23%. Now, it's a lot lower than it is in America. That's a feature of Australia. Australians are far less likely to be engaged uh, religiously than are Americans. Uh, America is a much more if you like, Christian nation than Australia is if you measure it in terms of people who believe in God and who actually express that belief by engaging in, in church. But they could be worse, you see, because there could be far fewer people who believe in God. And you can see that it's, it's still a majority in the United States as late as 2014. It's clearly a minority... In, in Australia, but, you know, we're not on our own. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. We're not on our own. These other lines in the chart, they actually refer, refer to different Christian denominations. So this one's Catholic here, this one's Anglican, that one's Uniting and Presbyterian Churches, and this one's other Christian. And it's interesting, isn't it, that there are people who go to church who don't have an absolute belief that God exists, and I, I, I don't get that. The only way I can explain that is that there are quite a lot of people for whom Christianity is a culture, not a faith. It's a culture, not a faith. And um, I actually think 
But those who hold it truly as a faith, it's probably less than 5% in Australia, but we don't really know. So things are bad. They're really, really bad. But they could be worse. So we'll see how we go with it, mate. Now let me explain this pretty chart up here. Um, I'm an economist, you know that. I've been an economist for quite a long time. I graduated in 1989, so you can work out how long it is. I worked as a professional economist for one of the big banks in Australia before I became a university academic. And um, one of the things I always like to do is to present my students with what's going on out there in the real world. And for many, many years now, one of the things that economists have been interested in is what makes people happy. In other words, what things underlie a person's expression of joy? What, what matters? And for the last few years now, probably for the last five or seven years, they've actually published what's called the World Happiness Report. And you're never going to read that. That doesn't matter. You can see some of the colours on the chart. I want, to, I want to highlight those. But in the rankings, and every country in the world is ranked, well, maybe not every country, but there's about 133, I think, countries that are in, in the ranking. Right up at the top is Denmark. Based on surveys, happiest country in the world. So if you want to be really, really happy, go to Denmark. It might be because they have Lego there, I don't know. <laughs> But who knows? The um, Australia ranks number nine, and uh, New Zealand because we're always rivals against New Zealand. They actually beat us. They're eight, and the UK is 23. I thought you might want to know that, Helen. The United States is around about 15 from memory. So, what are the things that actually matter? What are the things that make people happy? Well, this this yellow thing here. The yellow part of those bars actually represents material well-offness. It's called gross domestic product um, per head of population. What it actually means, though, it's more like the size of the pizza that we can get hold of, the size of the economic pizza that we can get hold of. It actually determines our level of living in terms of material well-being. It's one of the most important factors determining human happiness, according to the economists who have been working on this for a long, long time. The next one is those orange bars, is social support. And really the question that they ask essentially is, if, if you're going through a bit of a crisis, is there someone you can rely on to support you through that? Is it, you know, can you pick up the phone? Can you talk to them? Is it someone in your family you can go to? They might sit with you, walk with you through that crisis, whatever it is. In other words, it's the idea of community, alright? Very important. If people don't feel as if they're part of a community, they're not going to feel happy. The next one is this blue, little blue um, parts of the bars there. That's healthy life expectancy. Who knows that we're generally happier when we're feeling healthy. And moreover, that we can expect to live for a few more years, Right? I'm expecting to live till I'm 120. Who wants to join me? Yay! Right, the Bible says, that God says at one point in the Bible that, that the days of a man shall be 120 years, but the only reason is because he's going to get sick of arguing with us. You know, so if you stop arguing with God, you might live even longer than that. Anyway, there's a whole theology surrounding 
surrounding how long we're supposed to live. Um, and, and that scripture is only one of many, by the way. And, and, but I'm, I'm serious. I want to live till I'm 120 because I reckon I've got enough to keep me going until then. And uh, so I'm halfway there, almost. Praise the Lord. So healthy life expectancy. The next one is freedom to make choices. That's this one here. The little green one. Freedom to make choices. And uh, freedom is so important. And you know why freedom to make choices matters? Because we don't really flourish when we don't have the freedom to make choices for ourselves. The next one, generosity. That's a good one, eh? People who are generous feel happier. And that's actually measured by the recency and the quality of donations in relation to how well off the country is because obviously some countries are very, very poor and so generosity is going to be measured differently, say, in India or um, Bangladesh as compared with Australia. And the next one is lack of corruption. That's the little, the little grey bars in here. Or, or um, um, honesty and trust. Trust is vitally important in society. You can't do business if there's no trust, for example. And uh, finally one, it's a bit complicated, it's called dystopia. That's, that's the big blue lines here. That's really a, a statistical artefact. Dystopia is an imaginary country which is at the bottom of all of the scales. So it's got the lowest um, size of the economic pizza, it's got the lowest social support, the lowest health. It doesn't exist, but it's this kind of um, baseline against which you can um, measure these other elements of, of happiness. So they matter. Now why on earth am I talking about this? I've told you things are bad, really, really bad. They could be worse, but we'll see how we go with it, mate. We'll have a little think about how this might relate to the way in which human beings are made. Going back to one of my favourite topics. Do you know what? This economic pizza is determined by the degree to which humanity is able to harness the creative capacities that God placed in us because we're made like Him. So, we're not fully fulfilled, we're not happy human beings if we're not given opportunities to express our creative capacities. Yeah? And think of all the religions that teach it's better to be poor. But it's not. There are 2,350 verses in the Bible that relate to money and possessions. And they're not all bad stuff. You know, because God wants us to prosper. That's one of the messages of the Gospel. And what one of the great contributions that Christianity has made throughout history is that it teaches us that we can raise our aspirations. So why should we be surprised when the economists who don't bother referring to the Bible for their wisdom go out and measure this stuff and it turns out to be an important factor. It's not the only thing that matters, but a really important factor in human happiness. So as Christians, what can we do? We can do everything we can to make sure that those around us get to exercise their creative capacities, be that in paid or, or unpaid employment, and the more that people throughout the nation get to exercise their creative capacities, the better off the whole nation is in a material well-being sense. Let me move on to social support. What's one of the most important aspects of being a human? 
It is we are relational, just as God is relational. We cannot thrive unless we have social support, unless we've got people around us who will walk through life with us. Healthy life expectancy. Why do you think the shed blood of Jesus and his broken body has made provision for healing? Because God knows our happiness requires us to be in health. That is so, so elementary to human happiness, freedom to make choices. Listen, God, you know what? God, if he wanted to be, could be the ultimate dictator. He could have created us all as puppets on strings and he could have pulled those strings. Instead, he didn't. He created us with choice. He created us with choice. You know, Adam and Eve had a choice. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And Adam bought it because he was a wuss. You know what? God actually said to Adam and Eve, you can eat of every tree in the garden, every single one. Every single one, you may eat of it. He said that. But then he said, but don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right then and there, God set us up as free beings because he said, you've got the freedom to make the choice. Why doesn't God like socialism? Because socialism takes away people's free choice. If you don't believe socialism is alive and well in Australia, have a look. There are political parties left, right and centre who want to take away the freedom that people have. It's happening in many countries of the world. In fact, it's becoming more and more difficult to express our faith as Christians because governments are trying to take that freedom away from us. But have a look, what makes people happy? Freedom to make life choices, one of which is to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Freedom is a good thing. Because God gave us freedom right back at creation. Generosity. I've said this to you before. In, 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 in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew words for righteousness and generosity are very, very closely related. So, in, in, in the Old Testament, a righteous person couldn't help but be generous and a generous person was righteous in God's eyes. So, again, this has to do with the fact that we're born to thrive in community. I, I guarantee you can't be happy unless you're generous. I guarantee that. You can't be a fully satisfied, what I call a fully fulfilled human being, unless you are generous. Jesus was quoted by Paul in, the, in one of his epistles, uh, sorry, it's in the Acts rather, and it wasn't Paul, it was, might have even been Philip, I can't remember who now, I'm really sorry about that, I'm not the greatest theologian on the planet. Jesus is quoted as saying simply, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You want to be more blessed, guess how you do it? You become a giver, not a taker. And here we have irrefutable evidence from from the experts, we're talking about the worldly experts here, they don't, they've got knowledge, they don't necessarily have wisdom, they've got plenty of knowledge, generosity contributes to our happiness. Uh, the next one is lack of corruption, that's um, this one here, the little, little grey one. There's a lot of corruption in the world, I mean I've been in countries where there's a lot of corruption. As a rule, countries where there's a lot of corruption are also poor countries. 
because corruption takes away from people the incentive to actually um, engage their creative capacities to make stuff. That's why we have to be really careful about taxation, for example, because we can tax people so much it actually becomes a corrupt practice. I've actually had to pay a bribe once when I was in China. I was um, trying to get out of I was due to leave the country and um, they weighed my bag and they said it was like way overweight, like about 10 or 15 kilos overweight. I knew it wasn't because I'd weighed my bag just before I left the hotel. So I had a bit of an argument with them and they took it and weighed it on another machine that was still overweight. They said, how much money have you got? I opened up my wallet, had 150 Australian dollars in it. They said, that'll do. So I paid it and I got out of the country. That's corruption. It happens everywhere. I've got friends in business who will tell you that business and politics in Australia is incredibly corrupt. But, you know, lack of corruption contributes to our happiness. Going through all of these things, you can pull out Biblical principles that underpin every single one of these. Christianity is the only religious practice that encompasses all of those things. That's a pretty bold statement to make. But if you have a look at the way in which the Bible describes what the world will be like when Jesus returns, it's going to be Top of the pops, as it were, in terms of every single one of those. If you think you're going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp in heaven, forget it. As I discussed, was it last week or the week before, that actually what's going to happen at the end of human history, when Jesus comes again, is that our swords are going to be, um, they're going to be remanufactured into plowshares and our spears into sickles. Now that's uh, metaphorical because at the time all this was written there was an agricultural society but the understanding was we're going to stop using all of our resources against each other and we're going to use our, our resources to actually produce those things that improve our material well-being that is we're going to keep working and the economy is going to keep going and we're going to be doing stuff after Jesus returns, that's not what I say, that's what the Word of God says. So, you see, this stuff has eternal implications. Now, why do I say so? We'll see how we go with it, mate. Because we as Christians, I believe, as we walk out, our faith are called by God to represent all that is good, to represent all of these things that create happiness in people. So those of us who are gifted in business, and of course this is one of my passions, those of us who are gifted in business are called by God to do everything they can to ensure that everybody here has a bigger economic pizza. Because that's God's heart. Listen, I was at a, at a seminar on Thursday night. I've got some really good friends who are in business and they actually believe that we need to do business very differently. And uh, one of these guys was giving a testimony about some of the, the, the way he does things in business. And the underlying principle is that all may prosper. That, so they never do a deal. They never do a business deal in which every party to the deal doesn't prosper in some way or another. And he was telling the story of how he had his eyes on some land. 
And this land was for sale for $450,000. The real estate agent said, the seller, the vendor, is pretty desperate. They'll take a much lower bid, maybe $400,000. Anyway, this guy said, I'd like to go and talk to the vendor. They turned out to be small business people. They were running a small business that was bleeding money. They didn't have much. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. I won't buy this property now. He actually said, this is what they call an option, an option to buy, where you, you, you pay money to someone, and then that gives you an option to buy that property within a certain period of time. And if you don't, it's like putting a deposit on a house and then not buying the house. You lose the deposit, right? So he offered, it was about $20,000, and then he talked to the vendor and found that they actually had a cash flow problem, so he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the $20,000 now, then I'm going to pay you $1,500 a month over the two years, or I think it was two years, over which this option operates, okay? Then they thought, well, okay, in this period of time, now this is a common business practice, right, to, to actually pay money to buy an option to purchase a property. And what happens is, this is what developers do, they'll pay you some money, and that binds you to sell to them and no one else over the next couple of years. So the developers then, they, they go and get all of the council approvals they need for their development. And if they don't get the approvals, all they've lost is their 20000 or 50000 or whatever they put down. But if they get all the approvals, they can go ahead with the purchase and they can make a lot of money. So anyway, as it turned out, they did get all their approvals. But they went back to the vendor and said, look, you know, we've, we've, we've agreed on this price of 400000 We don't want to give you 400000 We want to give you 550000 for it. Remember, the original asking price was 450000 They paid these people $20,000 in cash. Then they've given them another $1,500 a month on top of that. That enabled them to get their business uh, running successfully. Then they came along and said to them, well, look, we're going to actually make a lot of money out of this when we develop the property. So we're not going to pay you 400000 We're not going to pay you 450000 We're going to pay you 550000 which they did. All shall prosper. You see? Now, how, you know, the way we normally do business, we do business so that I, me, 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 I can make the biggest profit out of it. These guys don't do business that way, and guess what? God blesses them. The same guy told a story of how they went into another deal, and um, they bought land, and they bought land very cheaply, a few hundred thousand dollars. Anyway, it, it got <laughs> um, rezoned and everything, and its value suddenly went up to like you know four million dollars. Someone came and offered to, the buy, to buy them at that price, and they said, "No, we want four and a half million dollars." Anyway, that caused these long, drawn-out negotiations. The bottom fell out of the market, and in the end, they had to sell that property for exactly what they bought it for. With 800000 they bought it for. They had to sell it for 800000 and they kissed goodbye to millions of dollars. Why? Because they, they, they got greedy. He'll tell you this. They got greedy. They did it man's way, not God's way. God's way is that all will prosper. Do you see that? And, and it applies in every single one of the... I, I talk about business all the time because that's my passion. I've got a real passion for helping people do business in a godly way. It's going to contribute to happiness. But there's things that all of us... You don't need a million dollars in your pocket 
to provide social support for someone, to be someone's friend, to walk through life with someone. We Christians are actually really good at doing that because we have the love of Christ in us. We're so good at doing that. You know what? Because when you have the love of Christ in you, you're not judgmental about other people. You know, a good church is a church that will allow anybody through the door and let Jesus clean them up. Because Jesus is the expert at cleaning people up. No pastors are experts at cleaning people up. Hopefully those pastors have wisdom that will help people respond as Jesus cleans them up. All of these things, healthy life expectancy. Well, we're not all medical practitioners and so on, but people are gifted by God. There are people who are gifted by God in these areas. And we had some discussion about this whole thing last Wednesday night. And uh, that pretty we didn't record that. That was a really good discussion on, on healing and, and the place of medical experts in, in healing um, in, in our world today. The freedom to make life choices. Well, you and I probably don't have much say over what the government might do, but we can practice making good life choices all the time and we can become role models for others. And we can vote intelligently when it comes to elections. You know, you go to places like America and the United Kingdom where it's not compulsory to vote, most Christians don't bother voting. That's a terrible indictment on them because they can't then turn around and complain about the governments they get. We can all be generous and we can all be trustworthy people. It doesn't matter what our station in life is. You know, generosity isn't necessarily emptying your wallet and giving the contents to somebody else. Generosity can sometimes, when you're busy, simply be to give a couple of minutes to somebody else. It can be expending your energy in building a ministry. A whole range of things. It doesn't have to be monetary. But we need to develop generosity as a, as a Christian trade and lack of corruption. Who knows that we can actually set standards. I've, I've read many, many testimonies of where people have decided they will not act corruptly in countries that are very corrupt and guess what? In the end the authorities respect them because they know they can trust them and trust that there's a couple of um, books that have been published in the last few years called The Speed of Trust and uh, it really talks about how in, in business, when you become known as someone who can be trusted, it just accelerates your business because most people expect corruption in their business transactions. They just expect that the rest of the world is going to be corrupt. So when I say Jesus is the answer, it's Jesus in us that is the answer. I would say Christianity is the only religion that really lets us See how we go with it, mate. Because our religion is a religion which is designed to make people happy. The word that's often used in the Bible is joy. And I know that preachers from time to time want to differentiate joy from happiness. I think really the only difference is that joy is something that we as Christians have constantly and it's not actually dependent upon our circumstances. But joy is really continuous happiness. See, there are things that are missing in here too, of course, like we're happy because of our relationship with Jesus Christ and there's nothing that can separate us from his love and that's the topic, of course, for another another discussion point altogether. But, you know, we, we, we start off with, I suppose, a slightly funny bush ballad. We recognise 
you know, things are bad. Let's, let's face facts. There's plenty of stuff in the world that is bad and we were told to expect that in the last days, that period of time between when Jesus is living on, on the earth and when he comes a second time. We can expect that. Things could be a lot worse. They would be a lot worse if we were on our own, but we're not on our own. We might be just a few people in a room this morning, but you know, God is actually doing something in the body of Christ. The Pentecostal and Evangelical Church in Australia is growing. I've seen testimony after testimony. I'm probably going to a conference in Sydney, but I've got to ask my wife if I can and if she wants to come because it's in Sydney and she can go shopping while I'm at the conference. But there's a conference coming up and you know, you think that growth in churches is only happening in Pentecostal churches. Let me tell you, it's happening in Anglican churches. It's happening in Catholic churches. It's happening in Uniting churches. It's happening anywhere in this nation where people want to sell themselves out to Jesus. So things are happening and God is preparing the church for something. Right now though, in the meantime, we can be who we're meant 